Section 26 of Life of John Churchill, Duke of Marlborough by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12, Audenarda, Part 3. Lille was now regularly invested. Prince Eugène was to direct the siege, while Marlborough commanded the covering army at Helchon. Here he could protect the convoys of stores which came from Holland, and could make it more difficult for Berwick, who was near Mons with his army, to join Vendôme, who still stayed near Ghent. All Europe watched the siege with intense interest. Many people came to the camp of the Allies, that they might see for themselves the wonderful things that Marlborough and Eugène were doing. Some of the military geniuses of the next generation here took lessons from the two great generals. Little Maurice, the natural son of Augustus, the dethroned king of Poland, then a boy of twelve, escaped from his tutor at Dresden and ran away on foot to join his father, who had gone to Eugène's camp. The boy grew up to be himself a famous general as Marshal Saxe. Eugène opened the attack on the night of the 22nd of August, 1708. Marlborough at the same time crossed the Scheldt with his army and advanced a little nearer to Lille. Vendôme was determined to relieve Lille by a battle. He meant first to join Berwick, and then with an army considerably superior to that of the Allies, to oblige them to raise the siege. After some delay, the two French generals broke up their camps, and joining together at Lessines, crossed the Scheldt at Tournay, and advanced to the south of Lille. Marlborough had marched to meet them, and had taken up a strong position near Peronne, hoping for a battle which he thought might end the war. Vendôme was eager to attack him in the face of all difficulties, but Berwick was more cautious, and they waited, while a messenger was sent to Versailles for instructions. Orders came back to fight, but after a heavy cannonade they withdrew, judging Marlborough's position impregnable. Again a messenger was sent to Versailles, and again orders came back to risk a battle, but it was now too late. It was clear that Lille could not be relieved by a battle, and the French withdrew, hoping to make the position of the Allies untenable by intercepting their stores. Meanwhile the siege was progressing but slowly, and Marlborough writes that when after the French army had withdrawn he was again able to visit it, it gave him the spleen to find things in such a bad way. He complained much of the manner in which the engineers had managed affairs, and was horrified to find how nearly the stores of powder, which had been thought would be enough to take both the town and the citadel, were exhausted. His remonstrances filled the besiegers with more energy. A terrible attack was made on the 20th of September, led by Prince Eugène in person, who exposed himself with the utmost bravery, and cheered on the retreating soldiers when they were driven back by the terrible fire from within. 2,000 of the Allied troops were slaughtered in this attack, but they succeeded in establishing themselves in a more advanced position. Prince Eugène himself was wounded by a spent musket ball, which grazed his forehead and knocked off his hat. The wound was not dangerous, but when Marlborough visited him the next day, he persuaded Eugène to stay quiet till it was quite cured, and promised, meanwhile, to direct the siege himself. He had to ride daily backwards and forwards between his own camp and the siege, so that, as he writes, with the vexation of its going so ill, 
I am almost dead. He found the stores of ammunition even lower than he had supposed, for the engineers had deceived Eugène as to the amount, and there was only enough left for four days. The enemy were masters of the communications with Brussels, and Ostend was the only place from which it would be possible to draw supplies. The troops which under General Earl had been ordered to make a descent upon the French coast had failed to do anything, and now in obedience to Marlborough's wishes landed at Ostend that Earl might watch over the sending of supplies to the army. A large convoy started from Ostend on September 27th. Vendôme sent a considerable force to attack it, but Marlborough made the most careful preparations for its defence and sent various bodies of troops to watch over its progress. The French, trusting in superior numbers, determined to intercept it in the wood of Weinendala, through which it had to pass. But the English General Webb so cleverly posted his men among the trees in the brushwood that the French on opening the attack were assailed with a terrible fire. After thrice trying to advance, they fled in terror, and no threats could persuade them to advance again, though their numbers were superior. They were beginning to look upon the English as invincible, and had lost their old confidence in themselves. The convoy reached Lille in safety, to the great relief of Marlborough and Eugène. Webb and Cadogan, wrote Marlborough to Godolphin, have on this occasion, as they will always do, behaved themselves extremely well. Unfortunately, this success of Webb gave rise to a great deal of party animosity. By some mistake, the London Gazette, in giving an account of the battle, spoke of its successful result as being due to Cadogan, not Webb. Webb was a Tory, and his friends thought this mistake was Marlborough's doing. Webb left the army in disgust, and though Marlborough, in his letters to England, did his utmost to rectify the mistake and warmly recommended Webb for promotion, the Tories still made it a matter for complaint against him. The stores of powder in Lille itself were getting low, and the French made a desperate effort to send more into the town. A body of dragoons carrying bags of powder tried to force their way through the lines of the Allies. The attempt was discovered and the alarm given. They were attacked, and some sixty of them were blown up with the shots striking their powder bags. The rest, in terror, threw away their powder and fled. Only about three hundred got into Lille. Though the new stores enabled the siege to proceed with vigor, the advance was but slow. In England, people began to grow impatient. A contemporary letter says, We have had a tedious expectation of the success of the siege of Lille. The country people begin to think there is no such thing and say the newspapers talk of it to make people bear paying taxes a year longer. Marlborough's letters were full of the difficulties of obtaining bread for his army and fodder for the horses. The difficulty of obtaining ammunition increased, for the French opened the sluices and laid a great part of the country between Ostend and Lille under water. The Allies had to resort to new expedients. The powder was packed in skins and carried part of the way in flat-bottomed boats and part by carriages mounted on high wheels. Cadogan, with great spirit and energy, protected the convoys and beat back the numberless attacks of the enemy. The Allies had at this time a sad loss in the death of the brave old Dutch general Overkirk, who died at Marlborough's camp at Rotslar 
at the age of sixty-seven, worn out with his many fatigues and exertions. Marlborough begged the Queen to bestow a pension upon his son as a reward for his services. Vendome now tried by fitting out boats to prevent the convoy of ammunition on the canals. The French also succeeded in taking Le Feng, an important post of the Allies between Ostend and Lille, and capturing a large quantity of powder. But at that very moment success at last crowned the endeavours of the Allies. The besiegers had pressed closely round Lille. They had taken one by one all the external works. Their artillery was mounted upon the outworks, and under a tremendous fire they prepared for the final assault. Then, on the 22nd October, Boufflet beat a parley, and the terms of surrender were discussed. Eugène, full of admiration for their brave defence, allowed the French to make their own terms. After a siege of sixty days, the Allies entered the city, and Boufflet and the garrison were allowed to retire into the citadel, to which the Allies laid siege. Divided councils had prevented the French from making any vigorous attempt to raise the siege. What Vendôme proposed, Barrack opposed, and so nothing was done. Orders now came from Versailles not to risk a battle, but the French were busy drawing more troops from the Rhine under the elector of Bavaria, who determined to besiege Brussels and take it before Marlborough could come to its defence. He hoped to terrify the governor into instant submission, but he held firm and sent repeated messengers to Marlborough telling him of his danger. To get at Brussels, Marlborough had to cross the Scheldt, the whole line of which had been fortified. To cross this broad and deep river with its steep banks seemed an impossible feat in the face of the fortified posts of the enemy. But Marlborough managed to lull them into security by making them believe that he was going to encamp near Menon till the citadel of Lille was taken. Meanwhile, he silently prepared to cross the Scheldt in three places. The enemy was quite unprepared, and a thick fog hid the approach of the Allies till the last moment. Eugène was present to aid in the operations. The French round Audenarde were driven back, the Allies crossed in safety, and met together on the heights above Audenarde. Then Eugène went back to the siege of the citadel. The Elector of Bavaria was so terrified when he heard that Marlborough had crossed the Scheldt that he raised the siege of Brussels at once and retired precipitately, not waiting even to carry off his wounded or his cannon. On the 9th of December, 1708, the citadel of Lille at last capitulated. The garrison was allowed to march out with all the honors of war. At last the long and difficult siege, which had seen such splendid instances of valor on both sides, came to an end. It had cost the Allies 14,000 men, and the garrison had lost 8,000. Boufflet and his gallant soldiers were at the end living upon horse-flesh in the citadel. The winter had now set in. The French were deeply discouraged by the severe losses they had met with, and Louis the Fourteenth, thinking that the Allies would attempt nothing more that year, ordered his generals to strengthen the garrisons of Ghent and Bruges and settle their troops into winter quarters, much to Vendôme's disgust, who chafed under these orders and longed to be allowed to do something to retrieve his fame. Marlborough was determined to capture Ghent and Bruges before returning to England, and steps were at once taken to besiege Ghent, though the frost was so severe 
that at first it was impossible to dig the trenches. The frost was followed by a fog, and Marlborough, who was then in his fifty-ninth year, suffered greatly from the cold and exposure in the trenches. On January 2nd, the town surrendered and the garrison marched out with full honours of war past Marlborough and Eugène and the staff. The file was so long that the march lasted from ten in the morning till six in the evening. Immediately afterwards, the French evacuated Bruges, Passchandaele, and Le Fang, and the Allies were once more masters of Brabant. Whilst Marlborough and Eugène had won these glorious successes in the Netherlands, nothing important had been done elsewhere. The Allies had some trifling successes in Spain. In Germany, the Elector of Hanover had done nothing but had sulked in angry jealousy at seeing the march of Eugène's army to the Netherlands and the great things that had been done in consequence. End of section 26